don't go over there. Feels like I've heard that phrase so many times in my life, I've almost developed a, a complex about there, wherever there is. I'll tell you why. Give you a couple of examples, experiences in my life. Uh, when I was a kid, we had a really long driveway. It was great for riding bikes, but there was definitely a dividing line. It was the mailbox at the end of the driveway. So anything in this side of the mailbox was fine, but on the other side of the mailbox was the road. And so mom and dad would always say, don't go over there. So I quickly learned that there was a place of danger. Also growing up in our living room, there was one corner of the house that had this little stool and it faced the wall. And you can imagine maybe that, what that was for. When I got a little pouty or sassy or naughty, sometimes my parents would point to that stool and say, over there. And so there was a place of consequence, isolation. How many, how many of you remember movie rental stores? <laughs> Blaster in the past. Huh? I remember when I was a kid and those were first getting popular. I loved to look around the movie store, look at all the pictures of the movies. But I remember being curious as a little kid once and I wondered why there was a different room that was, you know, had a curtain on it. You, if you know, you know, is the inappropriate movies. And mom and dad sternly and quickly said, don't ever go over there. And so I knew it. I got it. There was a place of temptation. And maybe the last one I'll share is I, was, I think about trick-or-treating and we would go to as many houses as we could. But there was one house where we as kids would use the phrase on our parents. And it was a welcoming house and a friendly house, but this, this poor old lady, she would give us just a penny each. And for us bratty, ungrateful kids, that just wasn't enough. And so we'd say to mom and dad, don't go over there. So there was a place of scarcity, not enough. I feel like each of us has our own experiences or stories about there. They're all different, but I, th I think you know what I'm talking about, right? There, like I mentioned, is a place of danger and, and temptation, a consequence, isolation, scarcity. There comes to represent a place where we don't want to be. Don't go there. And yet, as you experience life more and more, it's interesting that you find yourself there more often than you ever thought you would. And what happens? What happens then when you find yourself there? What happens to your heart? What happens to your soul? What happens to your faith and your relationship with God when you're there? I think those are some important questions that I'd really like to explore together as we take a look at 1 Kings chapter 17. What happens when we do find ourselves there? The reason those important questions come up is because those are the words that really popped out to me as I studied these words. And I'd like to share that with you. Here's what I'm talking about. Basic summary, the very basic summary of what's going on here is the Lord came to Elijah and said, leave here, go there. So God is speaking to a man named Elijah. Elijah was here, and where's here? Well, it's, it's a good place to be. Elijah was a prophet of the Lord. And so he had the promises of the Lord 
He lived among the people of the Lord. He lived among the promised, in the promised land. Here was a good place, right? But there was a reason God told him to leave here and go there. And to get that, I, I want to share a couple of other passages from the Bible because this, this is like a small little snippet of an event and it's really hard to get. So I, I want to give the fuller picture of what's going on with Elijah and, and his time here. The king of Israel at this time, his name was Ahab. And to get a little idea of who Ahab was, what kind of person he was, go back to the previous chapter in 1 Kings, and it gives this description. Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And that's saying a lot because the kings were pretty bad before that. And then it, it describes it. He not only considered it trivial to commit sins, he began to serve Baal and worship him. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord to anger than all the kings of Israel. So basically, this is what's happening. God's people, the king and the people, abandoned the Lord and they worshiped a false god named Baal. To know the significance of that, we need to go to another Bible passage. Something that happened way before this time. Imagine the people being delivered by the Lord out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, they get to Mount Sinai and they see the presence of the Lord and God says, I will be your God. And the people say, yes, we will be your people. We will obey. And as a warning, God said to them, Deuteronomy 28, if you do not obey the Lord your God, the Lord will strike you with drought. The sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. Fast forward to Elijah's day, do you see the, the connection? They did disobey. They turned away from the Lord. And so now, Elijah, as the prophet, he needs to deliver the word of the Lord against their idolatry. To talk about this consequence of, of their sin. And so that's what we have going on in our text. He goes to Ahab and he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will ne be neither dew nor rain in the next few years. So you can imagine how this was received by people who had rejected and abandoned the Lord. Not only did they not listen, they burned with anger. So much so that God told Elijah, you have to flee, you have to hide, and where did he have to go? Away from here outside the promised land, away from God's people, a desolate place with no food, just a, a tiny brook, which, by the way, if we were to read the verse right after our text, would eventually dry up. You recognize the place where Elijah is in our text? Danger, temptation, consequence, isolation, and scarcity. Elijah was no longer here. He was very much there, right? The last place he would have expected. So what I want you to think about is, is do you know that place? Where is your there? Have you been there? With the circumstances in your life right now, does it feel like you're fastly approaching there? Are you there right now? There's some eerie similarities between Elijah's situation and our situation, isn't there? 
look around. There's a lot of godly, godlessness and evil and temptation. Have we been sucked in? Have we slipped and fallen? And if we have, oh, how we know the consequence of sin, don't we? Maybe we're living in one of the messes that we've made. Maybe we are suffering the pain of sin. Maybe we are just bearing the burden of our guilt. Maybe it's not even our own sin and guilt. Have you ever felt the isolation of trying to live faithful to the Lord in a society that wants nothing to do with him? Have you ever felt that fear of trying to share God's word with people that don't want to hear it? Maybe it's just the challenge and the difficulty of living in a fallen world itself. Do you ever get worried that your streams are going to dry up? The streams of blessings you enjoy, the stream of income you have, the stream of happiness and the stream of satisfaction, the stream of love and belonging. Do you ever get worried? God, I don't have enough. There is a place that we never thought we'd be, and yet we are there an awful lot, aren't we? And being there is a struggle all by itself. But I'm curious, as we talk a lot about being there, have you, have you realized yet the real danger of being there? It really has not everything to do with our circumstance, but more with our faith, our relationship with God. It is so easy to worship the Lord when you're surrounded by sisters and brothers in the faith. It's a lot easier to obey the Lord when we're here and being filled with, with forgiveness and mercy from our God. It's easy to be bold for the Lord in a, in a very safe setting, and it's easy to trust the Lord when all of those blessings are flowing our way. But I have a hunch we know maybe what Elijah was feeling. We know what it feels like when we first start feeling those threats to our faith. Maybe we're starting to feel the isolation of loneliness in regard to our faith. Maybe we're starting to see those streams of blessing turn into a trickle. And it's then, that's when the fear creeps in, right? That's when the the doubts about God fill our minds. That's when the worries start to fill our hearts. That's when the grumbling starts to come out of our mouths. Maybe even that's when evil and unbelief start to look like an actual option because at least those people seem to be doing okay. To me, that's the real danger of being there. It's the fear and the doubt and the worry that threatens our faith in God. Where are you, God? What are you doing for me, God? I don't have enough, God. Don't go there, right? So what happens when you're there? Can I share a ministry story? I remember one night, I'd already gone to bed. I was just about to sleep and my phone rang. And it was a, a man I knew well. Uh, he insisted we, we needed to meet. In fact, he was already at the office. So I got up, groggily went to the office. 
soon as we sat down, the tears just flowed. He had fallen hard into temptation. He had woven this tangled web of lies and it was exposed and it was coming untangled. Trust had been destroyed. Relationships were in shambles. Hearts were broken. The future was uncertain. His faith was shaken. As we sat there talking and crying into the wee hours of the morning, he was very much there, right? But what amazes me about that moment, about being there, was this. As he poured out his heart in sorrow, in in confession, repentance, I was able to say to him, the Lord has forgiven your sin. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed your sin. And at that moment, I realized that there, was not only he was there, God was there too. Even God was there. That's the beautiful lesson of, of these words in 1 Kings 17. That's the beautiful lesson that Elijah learned as well. We, we just talked about how he must have been feeling But when God said, leave here and hide in the Kareth Ravine, this is what happened. He did what the Lord told him. He went there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening because the Lord commanded them to. And he drank from the brook. Think about what's going on there. Elijah was learning the beautiful sermon, the lesson of the beautiful sermon he preached to Ahab. Remember his opening words to Ahab? He said, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives. There's a lot in those words. And Ahab needed to hear them because he and his people, they had rejected the Lord and and started making their life all about a false, non-living, lowercase g, God. They actually thought that that Baal had the power over the clouds and the the sky to send rain. They actually thought Baal would hear their prayers for rich soil and healthy crops and abundant harvest. But the thing is, this drought that was happening, it wasn't just punishment for their their sin, a consequence of their disobedience. It was also a sign to everybody who the true living God was. He was the Lord, not Baal. The Lord is almighty. The Lord hears prayers. The Lord's word is effective. The Lord delivers. The Lord provides. It's true because there's only one true living God, and it's the Lord. And that, that's a, a great and a powerful message for, for Ahab and all the, the wicked unbelievers in Elijah's time. But it was also a great and powerful message for, for Elijah himself, for God's prophet. As all this is happening, as he's experiencing this, at the Kareth Ravine. Can you just imagine how his doubt diminished as he witnessed this miracle as he saw the Lord commanding and controlling ravens to feed him? Ravens are scavengers. They, they steal. They don't give. And yet God used that to provide. Can you imagine how his loneliness must have, must have subsided as as he experienced the Lord's presence there to provide for him. 
Just imagine how his worry eased. As each day, just enough was given to him and provided by the Lord. And imagine how his trust in the Lord was strengthened as God proved that he's the one who gives and sustains life. God was there. And that's the awesome, powerful message for you and for me today. Right? God knows there as well as any of us. I know it's the last place you'd expect to find God, but God went there. He chose to leave heaven to go there, right? To thirst, to hunger, to go without, to fight the lure of temptation, to brave the dangers of threats, to bear the guilt, to be crushed by it, to feel the lonely isolation of abandonment, to suffer the deadly consequence of every sin. But the thing about God is it didn't defeat him. Instead, he defeated it for you, for me. That's what God did for us in Jesus, right? And because of his holy life, because of his sacrificial death, because of his victorious resurrection, he can truly say he is the God who lives. God truly lives, and so he can sympathize with us when we're there, and he can meet us there. And he can deliver us from there. Our gospel acclamation today was uh, from Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Your God loves you so much, there's nothing he won't do to make sure you have what you need. You have the mercy and the forgiveness to have a relationship with him and to have heaven, right? And so you know that you're going to have everything else you need too. Maybe not everything you want. Maybe that's the trouble sometimes. But absolutely everything you need. And he does it in so many different ways, right? Sometimes it's in the big miraculous ways. Have you ever had something happen where you look back and you say, wow, that had to be a miracle. God is so great. I mean, he did command the ravens, and so, yes, he can, he can provide for you with miracles, but I would say you don't always look for the ravens either. He also provided a brook. That was a natural way. So sometimes it's not the ravens, but maybe the people in your lives, people who offer a helping hand or a loving gift, a, a listening ear, an encouraging word. Maybe it's just the stream of blessings that God just keeps going. Even if it's a trickle, it's just enough your stream of income, your stream of blessings, your stream of resources. To me, this leads us to make time, to spend time pondering all the ways that God provides for us. The big ways, but also the little, the everyday mundane ways too. And pondering the ways that God provides instead of the negative things that often fill our ears and our minds and our hearts. And, and what's going to happen when you do that? What's going to happen to those burdens and those fears and those worries and those doubts? I'm pretty sure that they're going to be replaced with joy, with satisfaction. Above all, faith, trust in the Lord.
Yeah, don't go over there. Right? As we have more experience in life, we, we realize how true that is because there can be a lot scarier than the other side of the mailbox or that house that doesn't give us the right trick-or-treat. Each of us, in our own way, in our own time, experience danger or temptation or isolation or scarcity. Don't forget, the same thing that was true in Elijah's day is true today for you. The Lord God lives. And so what that means is, wherever there is for you, God is there. Amen.